Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know, going to an island, having this private experience with Ja Rule and Billy, what's his name, and, uh, you know, being catered to hand and foot, like, you know that that's not going to be the experience of the guests, or at least you should. Hello guys, what's up? And welcome back to the official start of season three of the Freelance Friday podcast. So as you probably know, if you are a loyal listener for whom I love so very much and I'm so grateful for, uh, yeah, I've been doing a couple of little mini-sodes here and there, uh, kind of starting at the beginning of January, really, just because I felt like it. And I'm going to continue doing shorter episodes like that throughout the season, but I'm considering this episode right here the official start of season three. Uh, I've recorded a bunch of stuff. I got some amazing interviews lined up, and I know that this season is going to be the best one yet. So I hope that you guys are ready, strapped in, and excited to listen. Yeah, just want to say thank you to everybody who's listened for to the past two seasons. Um, I really enjoy this show and have missed recording and putting out new content for you guys every single week. So every Friday, I usually upload these episodes right at midnight. So if you guys want to catch them immediately at midnight, you can go to adjourneys.com slash podcast. And then they're usually distributed onto all of the podcasting platforms like shortly after. So by the morning on Friday. So uh, yeah, I don't really have too many updates for you guys. You guys can check my YouTube channel if you want to see what I've been up to. My YouTube channel is always linked down in the show notes, but you can just search Latasha James on YouTube to see what I've been up to. But today's episode is just, oh, it's a, it's an interesting way to start the season. I'm going to be honest, but I feel like I need to talk about it. So if you're new here, I do not like making podcast episodes that are kind of ranty or that about are about anything like really negative or I don't like making fun of people. Like that's just not who I am. I consider myself a really nice person. I want everybody to learn from this podcast and that's it. Uh, But this may come off a tad bit out of character, I guess, but I feel like there's really something that we can learn from this. So let me talk about what I'm talking about, shall I? So I went home to my hometown last weekend and uh, we had an early night ended things with the family pretty early earlier than we expected Norris and I are in our hotel room we're like let's watch the new fire festival documentary on Netflix and we did and I have things to say I got things to say okay um so here we go this is kind of a spoiler alert if you guys haven't watched the documentary or the one on Hulu really they're they're pretty similar to be honest I watched them both um if you haven't watched either of the documentaries you might either want to a download this episode and save it for tomorrow or for after you're done, or just be warned that it's kind of a spoiler alert. To be honest with you, we all kind of knew what happened at the fire Festival. Anybody who's online on the internet, we saw the pictures of the bologna sandwiches and the really scary looking tents. So I don't even think you'll necessarily be like totally spoiled if you listen to this episode. Um, but if you don't care about spoiler alerts, go ahead and keep listening. But anyway, yeah, I got things to say. <laughs> 
Welcome to the Freelance Friday podcast. My name is Latasha James and I'm your host. This podcast is a deep dive into the challenging, exciting, and oh so rewarding world of freelancing. From tips and advice to interviews with the people who are doing it right, this show is for anyone looking to get their hands a little bit dirty and make monetizing their passion a reality. Let's get started. All right, so like I said, I wanted to record this episode because I feel like really all of us can learn something as business owners, as freelancers, as entrepreneurs, so whatever it is you want to call yourself, as influencers. Oh my gosh, there's a huge influencer piece to this as well. Uh, I think we can all kind of learn something from it, and I, I guess I wasn't expecting that. I was kind of expecting just like funny, and I, you know, like I don't know, just interesting cultural commentary. I wasn't really expecting to walk away with business insights, but I did, and that's what I want to share with you guys today. So, okay, just to give a little bit of background for anybody who doesn't care about the spoilers and doesn't feel like watching the documentary, I think it was in 2017 or something. Um, it was it was recent-ish. Um, this festival, a music festival, was promoted to be like the most glamorous, luxurious, amazing music festival in the Bahamas. Amazing influencers like Kendall Jenner, like uh, Bella Hadid, like uh, Alessandra Ambrosio, who else was there? Um, Haley Baldwin, aka Bieber, all of these amazing people, you know, the most popular people in the world really were promoting this event on social media, primarily on Instagram. And it was just supposed to be basically like Coachella in the Bahamas. And Job ja Rule was a part of it. He was, uh, I don't, I don't know what he was. He was kind of the face of it and kind of an executive within the company, if you will. So anyway, it's called Failure Festival. And what happened is how I found out about Fire Festival was I was on Twitter one day and I saw these pictures of these tents that were like blowing over in the wind, basically, and bologna sandwiches. And that was kind of like the luxury experience that, you know, the people got who paid a lot of money for these tickets. Like they paid a lot of money, like $1,500 for kind of your basic ticket. Some people were paying as much as like $25,000 or even more for, you know, luxury experiences like villas and I don't know, excursions and things like that. It was wild. And basically it was a, it was, it looked like a scam. It either looked like a scam or just the ultimate false advertising ever. So here we go. So the documentary really starts with the advertisement, which was this day-long shoot with all of those people that I mentioned, you know, Hadid, you know, uh, Bella, one of the Hadids, I don't know, I think it was Bella, um, you know, all of these models, top models, like the best models, the most popular models that you can think of right now on these jet skis, just having like the most amazing time with Jaw Rule there and a bunch of other rich guys. And they're just living it up, hanging out, looking amazing, in beautiful, the beautiful Bahamas. And that's what it started with. It was, I believe they said 60 people total that day on set, you know, including people from the company, the models, Ja Rule, you know, whoever else was there. And it was a grand old time. They had a great time. It appeared to be a good time. And really, it was just like the the best advertisement ever for their demographic. They're going after wealthy social media apt young people, you know, youngish people with money. And it worked. It worked too well, to be honest. And if I had to give any piece of advice after watching this documentary, I think the overarching thought would be to scale slowly and wisely. So 
the Fire Festival founders, I can't even remember his name right now, but Billy, it was Billy something, I can't remember. Um, Billy McFarlane something, I don't know, Billy isn't his name though. He was like, hey, we did this with 60 people. We did this with 60 influencers. You know, we gave them a great time in the, the Bahamas. We can totally monetize this. You know, we can totally sell this. We can do it. Okay. 60 people versus, I believe, close to 6,000 tickets were sold. Uh, maybe more. Those are two very drastically different numbers. And especially when you factor in the, you know, the fact that the influencers weren't paying for this, right? They were getting paid for this. And yeah, 6,000 paying customers who paid like a lot too versus 60 influencers um, it is, is totally different, number one. Number two, there was no infrastructure set up for this event. So there like wasn't plumbing. They're, they basically, they changed the location several times, but uh, you know, they basically ended up in a parking lot essentially. It was just a really weird, bad time. And this is something that I think a lot of entrepreneurs experience, really. It is really tempting to just keep selling and keep taking money, even if you don't have the, um, you know, the stuff in place to actually deliver. I mean, for most people, I would say it's kind of common sense to stop doing that. But I, I'll be honest, you know, I've had to check myself in certain ways as well. Example of this, we just had the first notable event, me and my notable partner, Ryan. And we actually made the decision. I, I talked about this in a video update about it on my YouTube channel you know, we actually decided to cut back ticket sales, even though we were selling tickets, even though obviously we would have made more money, we would have had better margins if we would have kept selling. But we sat back and we thought about it and we said, you know what, we want these to be small experiences for these people so that they're very valuable. We also want people to be very comfortable. And at the end of the day, that was always throughout that entire event, that was always our number one priority above profit, above margins, above anything, was just making sure that we were delivering for our customers. And that's really for two reasons. One, obviously, we wanted the people who attended to have a great time because we're nice, good people who have souls and are not scam artists, you know, number one. But number two is also it's it's better for business, right? If we have people who come and say that was a great time, we were comfortable, we learned a lot, we got one-on-one -on -one experience with these people, you know, we didn't feel abandoned, neglected, whatever. We didn't feel like we were just scammed or robbed and, you know, take they took our money and then said bye. Um, we knew that we would get better testimonials to use to sell future workshops, that we knew that we would get lifelong customers who wanted to come to every single one instead of like, wow, I'm never going to work with those guys again. So being customer centric is just kind of duh. And also don't be blinded by the dollar signs. I've also had to do this before with clients. I was actually kind of experiencing that recently, kind of towards the end of the year and very beginning of the year, I was getting so many requests for new clients and all kinds like coaching clients and social media clients and everything. And, you know, I was having to tell people no, or not now I was having to make really tough decisions. And I could have easily said, yep, I'll sign you. I'll take you on. I'll take your money. And oh, sorry, I got to reschedule that call because I'm too busy or 
you know, got to pass you along to somebody else or got to cancel this contract because, you know, it actually turns out it doesn't work. Like I could have easily done that just by seeing the dollar signs. And I didn't because again, I'm not a scam artist and I want to deliver. And really for the same reasons as I said on that workshop, you know, I want my clients to be giving me good testimonials, be having good experiences with me and not just feel taken advantage of financially. So that's really my first takeaway. And kind of my biggest takeaway is like, don't scale first of all, why, what were they doing? Like, why were they trying to have this giant event in six months, by the way, with nothing set up, maybe start small, you know, just, just start small. You're not going to be Coachella on your first year without the proper planning. You could maybe rival Coachella if you give it a couple, honestly, I feel like to rival Coachella, you need like a couple years at least. I mean, I'm not an event planner, but that's just what I feel, but at least like a year. I mean, come on. And if you don't have that time, just be, be, be realistic. Keep it small. You know, that's what we did with our first notable event. We didn't rent out Kobo Hall. Like we didn't do that for a reason. It's like a giant conference center in in Detroit, by the way, if you're not from here, but yeah, we didn't do that (laughs) for a reason. We had it at a small coffee shop for a reason. Okay. Number two, I think that this documentary was, and just this whole experience was really just an amazing illustration of how well influencer marketing works or how not well, I guess, depending on how you look at it and marketing in general, honestly, so just social media marketing, digital marketing, you know, like I said, um, it basically just this whole thing was catapulted by this one advertisement, this one video for the, for the most part, there's a little bit more to it, but that's really what happened. And really it was driven by influencers. They had these influencers post this orange square, And basically behind that orange square was the video and they sold a bunch of tickets because of that essentially. And, you know, I think this is a great illustration for those people who don't know that influencer marketing is a real thing and that it can really work. But I also think it's almost like a a horror story or like um, a cautionary tale, you know, because you really need to choose your influencers carefully, which I do think that they did a good job. Again, I think that they knew the target audience that they needed to go after, right? They they wanted these wealthy millennials, um, Instagram friendly, you know, millennials basically. But on the flip side, you know, the influencers really need to be vetting the products and services that they're promoting way more carefully. And we've seen this so many times, right? We've seen, um, I don't know, Kim Kardashian get attacked for promoting like weight loss things that maybe arguably allegedly don't really work or just promoting something that's not on brand anyway. Uh, for her, I mean, she's one example. I We've seen a thousand million bajillion. I mean, look at YouTube, you, the YouTube beauty community. Oh my gosh. Some of these people just kind of get torn to shreds for promoting things that aren't authentic and that don't make sense with their brands. And I think this is just a really brilliant example, this whole fire Festival thing, because, you know, Kendall Jenner is the most highest paid model right now. And she's promoting a festival that serves bologna sandwiches to these luxury guests in these villas that are really just uh, disaster relief tents. So that's kind of on them. And I think that it was a wake up call probably to a lot of them. A lot of these influencers probably will not be promoting a first year festival anymore. And even still, even if it was in its second or third year, they're probably going to want to have experienced it before they do it. You know, going to an island, having this private experience with Ja Rule and Billy, what's his name, 
and, uh, you know, being catered to hand and foot, like, you know that that's not going to be the experience of the guests, or at least you should. And if you don't care and you just saw the dollar signs, well, that's shame on you too. So there's that. And I also think this is just kind of a central theme to the documentary as well. It's like, in general, this was amazing marketing. It was brilliant. The problem was not really with the marketing. It was with the product. It was with the service or whatever, you know, the event, whatever it is that you want to call it. I think that this is also a cautionary tale to us marketers that we need to only be marketing and promoting things that are actually good. You know, I think that our jobs can kind of be confusing sometimes because it really is our job to like spruce things up and package it together in a way that makes sense on social media, even if the original content didn't. Do you know what I mean? You know, it's taking a long um, ebook, let's say, and dicing it up for social uh, and selling it that way. It's taking something like my course and putting it into bite-sized YouTube videos that get people into my funnel and get people to know about me to then commit to something longer. But it's important that even if we are changing the format of things to fit for social or we're, you know, repurposing it, it, it or doing new things to it or, you know, using influencers to help talk about it, that at the end of the day, whatever it is that we're taking our, our people to is actually something that they might want. And again, I've had to check myself on this too. So when I relaunched my freelance social media management course late last year, I rewrote the sales page. So that landing page over at um, ajourneyeast.com slash course before it was just kind of like really boring. And I'm actually really proud of how it turned out, but it did get to a point where I had to like scale it back a little bit because it, it got to a point where like my copywriting was just so good on it and everything like the page looked so good and it was just in incredible. And I'm not saying my course is not incredible because it is, I truly believe it's a great value and I've heard nothing really, but good things about it. And, but you know, it's a $55 course, right? It's not your, my students are not going to make a zillion dollars the second that they exit that course. Like I, we just have to be honest with ourselves. Um, it's amazing. It's worth the money. It's a good value, all of that stuff, but it is not saving the world. And yeah, I think at one point, the copy that I had was just like, I felt like I was over promising a little bit. And I very much live by this phrase. Who said this to me? It was one of my bosses um, from one of my early jobs, like in college. I can't remember for the life of me what the job was, but anyway, under promise and over deliver. Um, oh, it was at my wedding dress shop, job, which I worked at for like two weeks. But I that was my key takeaway from selling wedding dresses was under promise, over deliver. And we, we use that to talk about time, uh, time that it took to get your wedding dress in. Because a lot of brides, you know, want their wedding dress immediately. What they don't realize is you're supposed to really order your wedding dress, like at least I think it was nine months in advance. And so sometimes we'd get the dresses in really early, like we'd get them in three months, but we always want to quote nine months or seven months or whatever it was. Uh, and that's true for everything. I, I use that for my business all the time. You got to under promise and over deliver. You want your marketing to be good. You know, you want, you, you do, but I do think, and I've been duped by this too. Like I've had amazing influencers who I love and trust promote products. And then I go buy them and I'm like, wow, like not, did not live up to the hype, did not at all. So you got to be careful about that. You really do. Okay. Another thing that I learned from this documentary was let experts be experts. So one of the most shocking, I'm going to go ahead and say this was the most shocking thing to me. 
Although nothing really surprised me, to be honest about this. But anyway, it was the fact that they did not have a customer service team of people or even person, you know, like a customer service manager for this giant festival that was taking place on an island in the Caribbean that they had, you know, really little planning done that was being orchestrated in six months that had ticket sales. I mean, they had like private events and things for like tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, listen, if you're selling anything for $10,000 or more, you need somebody to handle customer service for you. Ideally, an expert. <laughs> they hired an agency, a social media agency to help, you know, manage the fire festival accounts and things like that. But one of the things that was interesting, and I think this one was more touched on in the Hulu documentary and less so in the Netflix one, was that the agency was kind of instructed to delete comments. And that's like something that I never recommend. I mean, um, the only reason that I delete comments on, you know, social posts is if they're putting their phone number in there, then I'll delete it for safety reasons, obviously, you know, anything safety related. Um, but if it's like, hey, I haven't gotten my flight confirmation yet, or hi, can you give me some more information about the sleeping conditions? You, why would you delete that? That's just an honest question. And you know what? That's a huge warning sign if you don't have those answers. Like if you don't have those answers, maybe you shouldn't be hosting this festival, you know? Now, don't get me wrong, I understand how things go. Like you don't always have the answers right away, but reply publicly and say, hey, <laughs> you know, um, we don't we don't know yet. I mean, jazz this up. Don't just say we don't know yet, but you know, let me look into that. Do you wanna send me a message so that we can chat on direct message? And like, normally that's all people want. Normally people don't even care if they get the 100% answer right away. But as long as you're being attentive and you're being there and you're working on things, they're really going to appreciate that. So this is not, I'm not gonna go over customer service 101. I actually recorded a podcast episode about that that might go up this season if I feel like it, it, it turned out well. <laughs> but what this is about is letting experts be experts. Like clearly, that agency, if they were actually deleting comments and not handling them, they, you know, they talked about in the documentary that they were kind of forced into doing that. And that's wrong. The event, the fire Festival people should have let the agency be the expert and say, hey, this is not how we'd recommend handling this. Here's what we recommend doing. And if the agency wasn't at least attempting to have those conversations, well, bad on them too. Like they should have also known from their work with other clients and just just understood how social media works that that's not the solution and that is a huge red flag and honestly i would not work with a client who who did that if i was being instructed by a client to delete anything negative about them or to you know totally ignore bad pr basically i probably would not re-sign my contract with them um, and might even try to get out of my contract with them because it's it's just not it's not representative of the work that I want to do either. Um, and it just, it doesn't reflect me and it's not going to, it's, it's not doing the job of social. My job as your consultant, as your social media manager, whatever it is, whatever it is that you want to call me, it's to get your results and it's to support your business goals and ignoring customers is not supporting your business goals because I know that that's going to blow up in your face, which it did for Fire Festival. I think that experts being experts really was just a, some, a dropped ball across the board in this documentary because, I mean, 
did they not have like a logistics person or like a event, you know, somebody who's experienced in planning events? I mean, there were people, I remember there was one guy in the Netflix documentary who said, yeah, we, we tested out the tents to, you know, me and my wife, we slept in the tents to see if they were comfortable. And we went back to leadership and we said, no, this is not going to work. And basically I was replaced the next day. Hey, not, not good. You know, you got to listen to people and you have to um, take, take feedback and it's not always going to be pretty. I have had people review my courses. I've had people review my mentorship materials. Um, and yeah, I've gotten, I've gotten constructive criticism on it before. And that makes you stronger. <laughs> Those people were experts in their field and I took their feedback and I ran with it and it made my materials, my offerings, my services, all that so much better. Be culturally aware. Here's another one that I, I, I learned. Um, who People might not like me saying this, but I've actually had a lot of experience in the tech startup world and there does tend to be, mm, I'm, I'm scared to say this, I don't want to offend anybody, but definitely, you know, the stereotypes of sort of this bro startup culture can be true. I'm not saying that they are, but they can be, and I have been on the receiving end of that at times. Uh, this kind of ties into letting experts be experts too. I've been in situations where, you know, I just didn't feel heard. <laughs> in in these tech startups and where it kind of felt like it was a bunch of ideas guys um who who just have really big ideas and and don't really know what goes into implementing them or don't really look at like the little details like in the instance of the fire festival the fact that they planned this giant music festival on the same date as a giant regatta, uh, this island in the Bahamas had like this giant sailing, uh, I don't know if it's a competition or expo, like whatever you want to call it, expo event, whatever. It's a sailing kind of competition that I guess uh, is the, big the biggest event in this island, on this island. Uh, Islanders were saying that it was bigger than Christmas. You know, it's a bigger event, means more to them than Christmas. So I, I, I just feel like, one, letting experts be experts, letting, I don't know, somebody look at the calendar <laughs> who is experienced in doing that. And two, somebody who is also paying attention to cultural trends and things like that. I just feel like that didn't happen. And I'm going to be honest, I've, I've experienced that in, in, in this sort of bro startup culture before of just kind of being shut up or, you know, being, oh, you're just a consultant. So like, we're not going to listen to you. We're going to let all of these rock stars essentially you know Ja Rule and Billy and all of these other guys just spending money and like wanting to have models on the beach but we're not going to pay attention to the little things that are really going to make this event uh or break this event you know I think other things went into the whole culturally aware things like I don't know I find found it really offensive watching them feed pigs beer um just kind of disrespectful in my opinion when you're a guest in a different land, you know, uh, just kind of disrespectful to, um, you know, bring a giant festival onto the small, small islands. Maybe it would have worked and, you know, arguably it could have created a lot of jobs and a lot of opportunity for these people. But I also just think it, it felt very rushed. I mean, it was, it was six months and I don't know, I'm not an expert, so maybe I'm wrong, but it just felt a little like invading, you know? And uh, there was, so there was one, one scene 
where basically they had promised people you you get like this luxury jet experience and it was really just like a Boeing 737 or whatever, like your standard airplane um, with a decal on it. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. They got off the, the normal airplane <laughs> um, and the organizers didn't know what to do with them because the campsites, aka the villas, were not ready yet. So what did they do? They sent them all to this very lovely seeming uh, woman's restaurant, which was not equipped for like hundreds of people and especially hundreds of drunk people, especially hundreds of drunk people who paid a lot of money to be having an amazing time. I mean, just some of the shots, there were people like sitting on like, you know, just railings and just kind of being disrespectful of her space. And that was not really my understanding from the documentary. It wasn't really communicated that they were going to be coming there. It was just kind of disrespectful, you know, and I'm, I love to travel. And I just believe that when you're in somebody else's land, you are respectful. You're overly respectful. (laughs) You know, you're a guest there. I don't care if I am bringing economic opportunity to, to your island or not. Like, let me be nice. Let me try to work with you. So this can be a beneficial thing to both of us and not overwhelm you and stress you out and potentially damage, you know, items at a restaurant or be rude to you or whatever. Also, uh, wasn't very culturally aware to employ a large workforce, basically force them to work. Um, let me not say force because that was not in the documentary. But I mean, due to the time constraints, <laughs> they kind of had to work day in and day out. Uh, we're really excited, like I said, about this economic opportunity. And then, oh, yeah not pay them. So this was potentially, actually definitely the most offensive part of this documentary to me is that, you know, that woman that I was talking about, the restaurant owner, she said that she ended up spending 60,000 or maybe 50,000, 50,000 of her own savings. This woman who's, you know, been running this restaurant for, I don't know how long, but seemed like a while. She wasn't, you know, 20 years old. She spent $50,000 of her life savings to pay her employees who had worked so hard feeding those that plain load of people unexpectedly. Yeah, she 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 did that. <laughs> uh, all the construction people, maybe not all, but a lot of the construction people who were working their butts off to get, you know, everything set up for this event to happen did not get paid. Um, wow. <laughs> You know, just wow. Like, I think that for me, I've said this before, you know, business is not just about getting myself a buck. Like, that's not, I. if I wanted to make a ton of money, I would do something different for my career. Like, there are better ways to make more money than, than hustling and grinding and, and doing what I'm doing. I do it because I love it. And I also understand my responsibility as a business owner, no matter how big or small, if you're a freelancer and you're using any other resources, you know, you're using any other freelancers, you're uh, paying even, you know, for courses and education, you're, you're helping me um, as well economically. And, and I think that's one of the coolest things about being about freelancing and about owning a business is that you can support other small businesses and, and all of that. And wow, like, this was a giant slap in those two small business owners' faces, the construction guy and the restaurant, and who who knows who else, right? Like, that's just the two that were documented. But, 
I just find it really offensive because I think that this documentary kind of showed just the ugliest side of business and the most stereotypical side of business too because it's very like greedy and money hungry and oh we're selling tickets so just raise the price of the tickets and you know sell more and like make up things that we don't even have I mean he was selling villas that they didn't even have yet and selling just experiences that they didn't even know if they could give and it was just like wow so pay people oh and then that was just on the island and then after they got home, basically this entire, you know, marketing crew and, and team of people who had been working so hard, probably also not sleeping or doing anything but working on Fire Festival for six months, they all got laid off. And uh, actually, they didn't get laid off. They were told, hey, oh, how did he word it? This is not verbatim. But he said something like, basically, like, payroll is not going to be happening. You're not fired, but payroll is not going to be happening. So one of the people interviewed, she was like, so basically you're telling me I'm not fired, so I can't collect unemployment, but I'm just not going to get paid. It was just very offensive. You can't make promises that you can't keep. And one promise um, in business is hiring people and signing contracts, you know? And I understand that life comes at you fast. It can be tough. Things can happen in business that you're not prepared for. But again, I think that all of these things were so preventable because again, if he wouldn't have scaled so giant, maybe he would have only had a team of two or, you know, 10 construction workers he had to pay as opposed to like hundreds. Um, maybe he wouldn't have incurred such a giant debt for that, that woman and her restaurant if he would have just had a 100-person event or something that was actually manageable or I don't know, something that actually happened and all of these promises were actually just would have been kept. So it's all related. And I just, I highly recommend you guys watch the documentary if you haven't yet. I uh, definitely wanna know what you guys thought of it. I really wasn't expecting to walk away from it with, you know, I don't know, just, advice and information to use for my own business, but I really feel like I did. And I feel like these are all valuable lessons. I mean, this, this, this documentary and this experience was obviously very, very dramatic. And I also think arguably, allegedly, whatever, uh, fraudulent, like it was kind of the, the Hulu documentary, if you guys are curious, was a little bit more insight into Billy, the founder of this festival. And it did really paint him to be a little bit more of a almost like scam artist than the Netflix one did. Either way, I don't think he necessarily had good intentions, but I digress. We all make mistakes sometimes, whether we know it or not, we can all be blinded by a little bit of money. We can all, you know, uh, just make mistakes. It happens. So I, I think that this documentary did have some good takeaways for all of us. And yeah, I'd love to hear what you guys thought of it. So let me know on Instagram. You can comment on my latest post at a journey east underscore or DM me over on Instagram. You can join my Facebook group. Let's let's chat about it. I want to hear what you guys thought. And I want to end this episode with one thought. This is my final thought. Who did that? Somebody in like the 90s. Was it Jerry Springer? I think it was Jerry Springer. <laughs> you said like a final thought moment. No, my final thought for this episode is there's this common saying in entrepreneurship, which I kind of believe, and I'm going to be honest, I kind of believed it a little harder until this fire festival documentary. It's, you know, if you're not sure if you can do it, say yes and figure it out later. And I've, I've been there like a client that is maybe a bigger client that I've ever worked with, or that's wanting something a little more detailed than I've ever done. 
but I know that it's going to work out. I know that I can do it. I know that I can hire the resources, etc. And I do it and things turned out okay. But I think that that saying is only true to an extent. And I think this fire festival documentary experience event, whatever, was also a cautionary tale about that because I think that's kind of what happened. It was kind of like one person got this idea and they're like, wouldn't it be cool if, and then like Ja Rule came into the picture and I was like, yeah, let's do it. We can totally do it. And like nobody was really equipped to do the work to actually make it happen well. Nobody actually gave themselves the time to actually, you know, become experts or to hire the experts. And so that saying, I just want you guys to know, is, is it sometimes can get you great opportunities. I mean, I've had to take risks. I think business is about risks. Uh, you know, really moving your business forward, there's going to be risks involved. I truly believe that. I don't think that many of us get to where we want to be by just sitting still and just, you know, going through the motions and kind of playing it safe. Like that, you know, you got to take some risks eventually. But don't take like 6,000 people risks. Like don't take it from zero to 100. Don't take it from chill backyard bonfire type party to let's just get a private island. So that's kind of my final thought is, is believe that quote or saying to an extent, take risks, but make sure that they're uh, sensible risks, I guess you could say, well thought out risks. I mean, a risk doesn't mean that you just free for all it. A risk doesn't mean that you just say, you know what, we're doing it. I mean, I think that you can still put a lot of thought into risks and decision making and in smarts into risks. So uh, yeah, do that. <laughs> anyway, that's it. That's all I got for this episode. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. Let me know what you guys thought of the documentary slash documentaries. And I will talk to you guys on Friday, next Friday, for a new episode of the podcast. Thanks for listening. And that's it for this episode of the Freelance Friday podcast. I hope you enjoyed. If you did, make sure to let me know. Rating this podcast is a huge help. And you can also tweet me at a journey east with comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes. Lastly, make sure to join my private Facebook group, Money Making Micro Influencer, if you're interested in elevating your influence and taking charge of your personal brand. There are so many like-minded, bright individuals in there, and it's a place I love to offer up free advice and a little bit of extra fun into. You can find it by searching Facebook for Money Making Micro Influencer. It'll also be linked in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.